I'm JP Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. We are recording this episode before Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is released. By the time this episode will be released, uh, the film should already be out. So, uh, no spoilers from us, because neither of us has seen the movie yet. Yep. There is nothing to spoil, because we don't know anything. I'm kind of afraid to make any speculation, because by the time this episode goes out, it'll all be like wrong (laughs) i am going to speculate that there's going to be a bunch of guardians there's going to be a galaxy and it will be guarded good although i'm i'm I'm, we we were talking before we started recording that we're, we're pretty sure tears will be shed by the end of the movie yeah i think there's going to be a lot of feels uh, let us know if we were right. If you go to see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and you cried at the end, let us know. Or in the middle, or at the beginning. Or, like me, every time they play the Marvel fanfare. <laughs> so, let's talk about this movie. This is a weird movie because, well, this movie, a lot of people were expecting it to fail. Like... I remember the articles and the web video and the, yeah, the videos that people were putting up that Guardians was going to be the MCU's first bomb because nobody knows who these characters are. No one cares about these characters. It's going to bomb. Like, like, Batista went back to the WWE as partially to advertise this movie, and they did not even talk once about this movie because they thought it was going to bomb. I I got to admit this was the first MCU movie that contained characters that I had never heard of. Yeah, I mean, yeah, at least with characters like Iron Man and the Hulk and Captain America and Thor, you at least had characters that you had some familiarity with because you either played the you either watched them in, like, the 90s cartoons. Maybe you played them in a Marvel video game. Or, yeah, maybe you even read a comic book. But the Guardians, outside of the hardcore comic fan, not a lot of people knew who these characters were. I did not blame people for expecting the movie to fail. At this point, 2014, Marvel is already... You know, the MCU is already situated. They're already... They're already, you know, a proven commodity. We we have already passed Avengers. Yeah. Like, Avengers has already come out and been a success. We've already hit the first major, you know, phase one is done. Phase one is done. We're in phase two. So we already had Iron Man 3 for the Dark World and the amazing Captain America and the Winter Soldier. So, again, sequels to movies we've already had. This was the first brand new hero. I mean, imagine having... 
And I hate to say it because there's there's been worse come out since. Mm. But, you know, imagine we've already passed Thor the Dark World and people are like, wow, we're we're waiting for that first MCU bomb. I mean, like if if Thor the Dark World wasn't the thing that was going to tank you at this point, like you're on solid footing. And I say that as somebody who actually likes Thor the Dark World. It's not my favorite, but I will sit down and watch that movie of my own volition. That makes one of us. I mean, movie contains a Loki, so, you know, mm. there, there's, you're going to get me to watch it. So mm. that that's all I need in a movie. Put, put, put a Loki in a movie and you're, you're good. Yeah, but... Even the hardcore comics fans that I knew, you know, I mean, we've we've talked over our various MCU entries about my my personal time with comics, and I would have considered myself a comic fan, but like even the really hardcore comic collectors, I think I knew one that had actually read a Guardians comic. The rest of them, the ones that actually knew about the Guardians, had only come across them in crossovers with bigger titles. I have one. I think we both have one friend who was exclusive to Guardians of the Galaxy. And it was a completely different team to what was in the film. Even when the film was announced and the characters were announced, this this, this, this friend of ours was going, wait a minute, those aren't the Guardians. Yeah, it it was not even this team. Yeah, <laughs> that's of, what that that's that's what was said. Yeah. So yeah, let's let's kind of brush over the the history because Guardians started out in 1969, and, and it was a completely different team. It wasn't even technically part of the main Marvel universe because the comic book took place. In the far distant year of 3000. And it was like. Long you know the heroes that we know. Are long gone. And these were brand new heroes that fought in space. Against aliens. And it was all. It was all space stuff. Now characters of this. Guardians 3000 team. Would make their way into the movies. Actually they're the ravagers. In Guardians volume 2. The, the the Sylvester Stallone and his team, they're the Guardians 3000. So that was kind of their nod to the, to the original team. The team that we do have in this movie actually did not exist as a team until 2008, the same year the first Iron Man movie came out. So, so even then, the comic books were kind of starting to create characters that would eventually become movies. Like, we're going to take the concept of the Guardians of the Galaxy, but we're going to take these different characters, put it in the same timeline as our main comic characters, and maybe we can spin this off into a movie. We're going to take Carol Danvers and make her Captain Marvel because we want to make that into a movie, and so on and so forth. And the thing is, is that they left a couple of characters out even of that modern team. Yeah, some of them have made their way back. One of them is supposed to be in this volume three. Yeah, 
And so, another one is so connected with Captain Marvel that I, you know, that they just kind of left her out of the team at all. I guess maybe because they think that she might work better in a Captain Marvel story rather than a Guardians story. Possibly. Because she was like more a, a Peter David creation for Captain Marvel. So um, that they, they brought over to the, the modern Guardians team when it got created. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if when she gets used. I mean, she so. might be in the Marvels. I don't know. I yeah, I mean, I haven't I haven't heard, but then again, they're kind of keeping mum about uh, the the Marvels, you know, yeah. and and who's going to be in it. So, and much like the Avengers, these were all characters that were already established in the comics, and they just brought them together. They were all pre-established characters with their own pre-existing stories, and most of them had their stories completely changed. For the movie, I guess to simplify it and just, you know, you know, we're not going to do a Star-Lord movie and a Gamora movie and a Drax movie and a Groot movie and a Rocket Raccoon movie and then do Guardians. Nah, James Gunn's not about that. We're just going to we're just going to throw them in there and make their backstories as simple as possible and go from there. I mean, it it worked the second time when they did it for for Suicide Squad. Uh, we'll talk more about Suicide Squad later because this movie does influence that as well. The yeah. <laughs> so Star Lord, as he is in the movie, he was just a kid that got picked up by Ravagers and became a thief. In the comic, he was like an astronaut that got stuck in space and he kind of became a space cop. Much different than the film version. Gamora, her story sort of stays the same in the films as it does in the comics. The only difference was it wasn't Thanos that destroyed her planet. It was a different uh, group of aliens. But still, Thanos finds her, turns her into a living weapon. And uh, you know the rest of the story from the films. Uh, Rocket, amazingly, from what we're seeing in the trailers of Volume 3... It seems they're going to go into a little, into more of his comic book origin. So, uh, I mean, we haven't seen the film yet, but I don't really want to do any spoilers for that. Yeah, all, all we get in the first movie is that somebody took him. We don't get a from where. And experimented on him and turned him into what he is. Yeah. That is all of his backstory that we get. In the first movie. And Rocket Raccoon started out as Beetle Joke. Because he was originally Rocky Raccoon. And he first showed up in a Hulk comic. When the Hulk accidentally landed on his planet. Yeah, his whole... I mean, if you're familiar with the, with the Beatles song, Rocky Raccoon. That was the basis of the entire character. A long, long time ago, there was a young boy named Rocky Raccoon. He even has a best friend named Walrus, Goo Goo Gajub. And also in the original comic and um, his first video game appearance, which was uh, Marvel vs. Capcom 3, I believe it was. 
he had a, a British accent originally. He was written to have a British accent because he was Beatles. Be- Beatles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> However, after Bradley Cooper was casted to play Rocket in the films, now Rocket just sounds like Bradley Cooper or a voice actor doing a Bradley Cooper impression. Well, you know, I think it's it's just mostly that when British people show up in the MCU, we kind of half expect them to be villains at this point. Hello, Governor, I'm Rocky Raccoon. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, you know, like if they had kept him British, like, like John Oliver as Rocket, <laughs> that, that would that would have been infinitely hilarious. The other two are like the biggest changes between the original character and how they ended up in the film. Uh, Groot originally started as a villain in Tales to Astonish. It's this giant tree called Groot, and he spoke in full sentences. Right on that first cover of Tales to Astonish, you hear this giant tree character saying, Behold, I am Groot the Invincible, who dares to defy me. The monster from Planet X. Eventually, they would change it up, and he would only say the I am Groot from that point on. And I think at some point, Marvel tried to uh, have these two Groots be completely different characters. That the group from the Guardians team and the group from Tales to Astonish are just two different uh, members of the Flora Colossus species. Can yeah. you um, can you imagine you know, Vin Diesel having a huge villainous monologue as Groot? I mean, I think it, it would be really interesting one day to have Vin Diesel really have a a monologue when somebody uh, translates the I am Groot because in the comics I am Groot is basically just what everybody hears because that's just the syntax of his language because the the flora colossi that's what their language sounds like all of the semantics of the language are carried in the inflection and how it's done which is why vin diesel records every single line separately they're not just he didn't just come into a recording booth and say i am groot once he records each one of those separately because they're supposed to be independent sentences conveying independent thoughts. And apparently James Gunn actually has translations for every I am Groot in the script. Whether yeah. whether he's made that those all of those translations public or not. Eh. I mean, there's like a few that, that he has made public, like like uh, Groot calling Rocket dad in, in Infinity War. Yeah. But the the thing is, is in the in the comics, there are certain people that have learned, and, and we know from the films as well, because Thor actually says that he learned the language of the Flora uh, Colossi. Um, 
because it's part of the all speak um so that he can perfectly understand Groot but there are times when like human telepaths and stuff like some of the X-Men Jean Grey um, yeah especially yeah Jean Grey and I think um Professor X has done it as well but um have linked with Groot and the comics have translated it to where you see these like huge monologues because you're seeing it via their telepathy and i would love for something like that to happen at some point in the mcu like i don't know if it would be a what if or or whatever where they do it or maybe even in third movie i don't know but there was if only there was a member of the guardians team that has the ability to connect to a character's mind yeah i know if only we had that now but yeah, but I would love for Vin Diesel to just get like one scene where Groot gets to have like a very uh, long monologue, monologue with yeah. this like very flowery speech uh, where Vin Diesel just gets to let go and express all of Groot's feelings. Um, it's very, but, uh, you know, the I Am Groot reminds me a lot of like the Jadoon from Doctor Who. Cause it's like, yeah. Full show, full show, full show, show. Yeah, but. Um, it it is that I would love some kind of universal translator kind of moment where everybody gets to hear that he's not just repeating "I am Groot" over and over again. It actually has like this very deep and complex meaning behind it, uh, because and, and, I've always loved that part of the character. And and, and even in the film by by volume two, all of the other characters have at least understand understand enough of the language that they can even tell what Groot is saying, especially when Groot decides to swear. Yeah. <laughs> like, whoa, you got some sap on you, boy. <laughs> and the biggest change, the biggest change from comic to screen is the story of Drax the Destroyer. In the comics, Drax the Destroyer was an earthling named Arthur Douglas whose family was killed by Thanos when he tried to attack Earth. An alien known as Kronos came and took Arthur's soul and put it in a new, powerful body for the sole purpose of killing Thanos. The movie completely takes away all of that. He's just Drax. He has, you know, they keep the wife name, they keep the daughter name. And they keep that he has this vendetta against Thanos, but after, but this Drax is not an Earthling named Arthur Douglas. Yeah, he's a different species, and they have a completely literal mind, which I kind of like. Yeah. It's a great, great character point. I really like the way that Drax is portrayed. I mean, it it is mostly played as 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 it's mostly played for laughs, but you know, I mean, sure. Another big one that came in when was 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 they were going to introduce the Nova Corps in this movie, and in the comics, the Nova Corps are pretty much Marvel's version of the Green Lanterns. Rather than getting power from a ring, they get their power from the, uh, their helmet. It allows them to fly, allows them to have superpowers. 
none of that is in the movie. They're just space cops. Yeah, they're kind of dorky space cops, too. One of them is John C. Riley. <laughs> like I said, dorky space cops. I mean, another another one of them is Peter Serafinowicz, who's very, very cool, but plays it very dorky because dorky space cops. Yeah. And, of course, they're all led by Glenn Close, who is very, very cool, but... Yeah, is I was it, gonna... it, it's it's impossible for her to play dorky because she's Glenn Close. Yeah, I was going to mention Jen. That's that's what I was, what I was forgetting. Also, this movie is our first appearance of Josh Brolin as Thanos. While not the first appearance of Thanos in the films, this is the first time Josh Brolin is playing the character. Of course, the 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 big another big change that they do in the movie is what they do straight up at the beginning is Star-Lord, Peter Quill having this Walkman and listening to this mixtape that his mom made of her favorite songs. Uh, Peter Quill is a Disney princess confirmed. We get the uh, dead mom trope immediately. Yeah. <laughs> in a pretty traumatic way. She has cancer. He's he he gives her a gift, and she you know passes away right there. He's just he's what ten at this point. Yeah, something like that. You it's know. a pretty traumatic moment, and they're telling him to stay still, not react to it. And it's like he's a kid who just saw his mom die. Like, how is this kid supposed to... And you want this kid to stay still and stay calm and... so Just... Well, I mean, he's a kid in the 80s, obviously being brought up in some kind of rural area since the uh, hospital is apparently right next to, like, a cornfield or something. Mm. Um, And his grandfather, you know, has that kind of like farmer kind of look to him, you know. Yeah. Um. It just it's just kind of how it how it would have been in that in the eighties for a boy that that age, you know. Mm-hmm. Just like, hey, be a man about it, you know. Man up, yeah. And uh, you know, so him him running out to be alone and listen to his Walkman and have a cry where nobody else could see him. It's kind of... I get it. Yeah. Um, but I of course, like... that's where the that's where the Ravagers pick him up and, you know, he disappears forever from Earth. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we never... Now, granted, this might be something that they might get into Volume 3. Again, we have not seen the movie, so we don't know. Like, like... No one's ever questioned where Peter went to. Like, I mean, of... I'm sure he ended up on a milk carton or something, like like you did back in the day. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm sure I'm sure his family looked for him, but also they were never gonna find him because he's not on the planet anymore. Yeah, they went, they... and I'm I'm sure Shield of the time. Came realized what happened, but of course this they is, didn't have the ability to bring him back. They didn't so know they, it. 
they didn't know aliens existed yet. Because remember, Captain Marvel hasn't happened yet. That wasn't me until the 90s. Well, but they realized something weird happened. Yeah. You know. mm -hmm. So it was probably... It was probably something where it was, you know, the abduction of a small child and, you know, we just never found the body and... Or he ran away and he's living somewhere. I mean, you know. I, I, I do like when they do when they pick up in in What If that if he hadn't been captured, he'd just be in this dead end job working at a Dairy Queen. Yeah, working at a Dairy Queen, intergalactic thief. Hmm, which life would you want to live? I do like that Star-Lord was, like, a nickname his mom gave him. Because he liked all the, you know, sci-fi movies and... And his father was from space. And goofy stuff, and yeah. I mean, that that is one thing that they kept from the comics. Uh, the identity of his father was different in the comics than in the, in the films. But, you know, we'll get to that another day. But, yeah, the... the... Just, like, this movie, the soundtrack is amazing. And, yeah, you know, Peter, uh, James Gunn choosing all of these songs based on how they fit into his script was, you know, great. And, the you know, like, the awesome mix, volume one, great soundtrack, great mix of songs. And bravo to Marvel for being willing to throw the money at it to license all these songs because it really did work. Yeah. It it also kind of had a negative effect on films because afterwards people were thinking, well, the secret to success in your movie is to have licensed songs on your soundtrack. I mean, it's not necessarily a thing James Gunn started, so let's not... But it it, it did start yeah. a trend, like, there was a lot of movies that all of a sudden had licensed songs on there. I mean, like, 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 would Baby Driver even happen if Guardians didn't happen? And I like Baby Driver. Well, again, though, there's a difference between putting it in there for an artistic reason which is that that movie was edited to fit those songs and that was a plan that you know mm-hmm. i mean it might have it might have helped get that movie greenlit mm-hmm. you know where he was like see look james james gunn was able to do this in one of the biggest movies of the year you know, audiences are ready for this kind of uh, aesthetic, but um, I know that that was that was a plan he kind of had in mind uh, for a little bit longer than that. So I don't think it was kind of like he saw it and was like, "Hey, I know what'll work here: licensed music." You know, but, but there were there was a string of movies that just all of a sudden have licensed music for no reason other than to have licensed music. And of yeah, course, it was it was it was a bit of a trend there, but and 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 in this movie, the success of Guardians had a negative effect on a movie that was already in production, 
DC Suicide Squad, the 2016 Suicide Squad, the one no one likes. <laughs> yeah, that one that one was a rather bad use of licensed music because the way that they used it was not it didn't really fit the the characters or the tone of a lot of the scenes. And they re-edited the movie just to put these songs in and well, our trailer was was got the same reception that Guardians had. We're going to re-edit this movie to be more like the vibe of Guardians, the vibe of that trailer, and it just yeah. And if that's good. what they were doing, uh, it did not work. Uh, I mean, I mean, to this day, the director of that movie wants to do another edit of that movie and re-release it. And it's like, no, let let it go no 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 amount of editing and whatever your original plan is, was for this movie was going to save it let it go yeah. but, um but back to a good movie back to a good movie yeah this also starts our search for the infinity stones this you know the the entire thing that's that leads us to endgame where the Infinity I mean, we we had already seen two of them, but we just didn't really know it. Yeah. It, a, as an audience. The term Infinity Stones was never mentioned until the post credit scene in Thor the Dark World. With, yeah. With the, well, with the three Eve. then, because I, I had forgotten about the, the, the Dark World preceding this. Well, we, didn't know about, we didn't know about the Mind Stone then. We knew about yeah. the, we knew about the space stone being in the cube, and we knew about the ether, and we know now here the power stone, and we won't find about the mind stone until uh, until Ultron. Yeah, I mean we we had seen three of them on screen, but the the audience was only kind of vaguely aware of them from. The comics, if you knew what Thanos's quest was already, because the movies had not revealed what Thanos's quest was, so if you were not a follower of the comics, you didn't really know what the giant California raisin dude was doing here. But we did yeah. get that shout out in, in in Avengers one that it was equal to courting death, although they 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 did not. Thanos they did not. They did not bring death into it which you know kind of annoyed because uh, you know i mean it, it, that's kind of a fun thing we could do at some point is you know who would have played death in in the mcu if they had gone in that direction yeah but, i don't know dc still has the cooler death it's one of the things i will give dc mm. um but you know you're gonna get that with your uh neil gaiman the um the thing is, though, is that they had already, you know, peppered them in, but this is the first time we actually get what it what it is, what it does, why somebody would want these things. When we get to the collector, we get our first explanation of what the Infinity Stones are, and our first look at the Celestials. Which, you know, would play a part in Guardians 2 as well as... Um... The Eternals. Yeah. So, the thing about it is, though, is that, you know, we we get the setup with, with Quill 
And we get the setup with his love of music and his love of dance. Um, his favorite movie being Footloose. Yeah, his favorite movie being Footloose, which, you know, they would bring around again in the Christmas special. I mean, it would be a plot point in, in, in you know, the two Peters, Quill and Parker. Is Footloose still the greatest movie ever made? It never was, dude. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we get that that wonderful opening scene of him versus Jaiman Hunsu, which I love. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's probably going to be something we, we say as we go back to these older MCU movies, is that, you know, the 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 uh, the way those scenes were reincorporated into Endgame. Like the opening scene where Quill is dancing and then, you know, here's Rhodey just pot bashing him in the face. Yeah. But, you know, here it's it's him going up against uh against Jaiman Hinsu uh for well, the, the orb. Well they would bring back for Captain Marvel. Him and uh yeah. him him and uh and and uh him yeah. and you know Ronan coming back for for because it had to do with the creeds and they're both Cree. Yeah, but uh, you know Quill found out about the orb from Yondu and he thought he'd get there first, and then of course, uh, Jaiman Hunsu's character, whose name I'm forgetting, is there trying to get it to deliver it. To Ronan. Um, Kor- Korath, that's his name. Korath, Korath. Um, and so they're there, and it uh, it ends up Quill just barely gets out. <laughs> it gets the drop. And I do like how they come back to this in Infinity War. Like, hey, we 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 have a rumor that the Power Stone might might be on, on this planet. We're gonna send Korath to go get it. Yeah, but I I also like how they they mirror this scene in the the What If, mm. where it's uh, Black Panther instead or or T- T'Challa instead. Yeah. Um, and Korath is just so happy to be taken out by Star Lord. Because T'Challa's Star-Lord actually has the reputation that Peter Quill only wishes he had. And then turn the Ravagers into a force for good throughout the universe. Even turning Thanos into a good guy. Yeah. Be- because T'Challa is just that nice of a guy. But, you know, when when Korath is like, you know, what is your name? And he's like, you know, Peter Quill, but you might know me as Star-Lord. And he's like... No, and that's a stupid name, <laughs> you know. Like that, that, that gif of him saying "who" just just has become like a meme onto itself. Yeah, but you know, uh, Quill goes back to uh, Xandar, which is where the uh, Nova Corps has their central power, and. Uh, He's going to the buyer that he heard about from Yondu, and he stupidly mentions that he beat out a buyer for Ronan, and the dude on Xandar just freaks all the way out because Ronan, Ronan is a, Ronan is a wanted man on Xandar. 
<laughs> well, you know, he's also the Kree that wants to destroy Xandar completely. He doesn't want uh, this war. He doesn't want this war between Xandar and, and the Kree to, to end. Yeah, the, they've just signed a treaty between Xandar and the Kree Empire. And uh, it, Ronan is like, no, no, I want death and destruction, please. And the ability to carry it out, which is contained in that orb. Uh, because he knows it has an infinity stone nobody else seems to know except for the collector who also wants it. Mm. Um, and so that's that's when uh, the buyer that Quill is there just goes like, no, 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 if Ronan wants this, I don't want anything to do with it because he will show up here and kill me and uh, do not want thank you and goodbye. Uh, and now, and now Gamora is involved because, hey, Korath failed. I won't fail because Thanos has lent his elite troops out to to uh, to to Ronan because, hey, we have a deal. You bring me the orb. I will give you. I will lend you my forces to enact your revenge on the Kree. Yeah, because you know. Uh, who who cares about Kree and Xandar and the Novacore? I'm going to snap them out of existence anyway once I get all of them, so it doesn't really matter to me. Yeah. I do like our little Stanley cameo. <laughs> as Rocket is, is, is searching for the bounty, as as Yondu has put a bounty on, on Quill's head for stealing the stone. And then he sees, hey, look, look at this old creeper. Where's your wife, old man? <laughs> Yeah, because Stanley is talking to a woman who is way too young for him. Uh, we don't know what his purpose is in talking to this woman, of course, but Rocket immediately assumes it's some sort of flirtation or other, you know, mm. similar thing. So Rocket Rocket gets to, to call him a, a prevert. <laughs> a prevert. Uh, I love how he says that. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Rocket so Rocket tries to have a large vocabulary, but it never kind of comes out correctly. Zoe Saldana, like, is she like the queen of sci-fi now, or 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 what? Because like, within a ten-year span, she's been part of three sci-fi franchises. Like she was yeah. Ohura in the Star Trek reboot. She's Gamora here. She's in Avatar. Oh, now I consider that a franchise since I finally got a sequel. Yeah, I mean it. It they intended to have the sequel out faster, but you know, I think the Fox buyout may have sort may have uh, affected things. Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean she's she's kind of up there in in that. Um, I'm not mad at it because she's a good actress, but uh, yeah. So, you know, speaking of Zoe Saldana, let's talk about her sister, Karen Gillan as Nebula. Another, another sci-fi queen? Because we, we are doing our Doctor Who retrospective. We're going to end up talking about Amy Pond at some point. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of surprised when she got the role. Uh, because, I mean, I, I loved her in Doctor Who, of course. But, 
but she's but, got that, that thick Scottish accent. Well, it wasn't just that, but, you know, Amy Pond is a very sweet and likable character. Not to say that she doesn't have strength and a bite to her, but then it's like you you see her as Nebula and you're like, oh, she will murder me. Weeping she will murder me and laugh about it. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, and, and, and kudos to Karen Gillan. She shaved her head for this. Like, and Nebula- she looked so good. Yeah. Like, just out of makeup, like, which she did all her convention appearances and stuff around that time and she was doing press and everything and people were like oh you actually really shaved your your head for this and she was like yeah it was easier and i was like and nah just just keep that i mean i i like a redhead but you know like i mean said, it's, it's, it's pretty easy. good <laughs> it's easier than packing in all of that hair under a bald cap the not, the but... thing is is that i i love the the character basically in all iterations of her because I I like her in this first film but I like the way they've allowed the character to grow far more than she would have in the comics because this is a character that has grown from from you know murderous assassin fueled by trauma to just this accepting person who you know i mean yeah by the by the by the last time we as the audience saw her like like i said we're recording this before we've seen the new movie but you know the last time the audience saw her was in the christmas special that they released and she's the queen of christmas gifts yeah she's definitely mellowed out and all it took was winning a paper football game with Tony Stark. Yeah. She finally won something. That's all she wanted was to win something. Because Gamora always beat her. Gamora never let her win. And she finally won a competition based off her own merits. And that mellowed her out. Well, it also was the fact that, like, not only did Gamora win everything... But anytime she lost, it wasn't just a loss. It was literally a body part was taken from her. Yeah, she, like has, she the, has one of the most tragic backstories in a cinematic universe that is nothing but tragic backstories. Yeah, she has a, a robotic arm. She has a robotic eye. Both of her eyes. Yeah, both of her eyes. Yeah, I mean, it's just I'm I'm not sure what on her is actually really her anymore. Flesh yeah. and not robotics. Because there's that yeah. one scene in in Infinity War where she's completely taken apart. Like how much of Gamora, how much of Nebula is still the original Nebula? Yeah, and every bit of that was a punishment for losing something to Gamora. Now, granted, um, the, the character of Nebula, I will, Nebula was really the only character I was half familiar with going into the movie because Nebula was one of the main villains in the short-lived Silver Surfer cartoon. If anyone remembers that, 
Yeah, so, I I missed that one to be honest. And it was like since this was the '90s, it was her '90s look where she had she was she was not yet. Uh, a cyborg. She was fully flesh. She had the long black hair. Uh, the uh, long black hair, and I was before I saw you know what she would look like in the film. I was expecting that look for Gamora. It's like, oh hey, you know, and you know, I'm not thinking Karen Gillan would look good as Burnett. Oh, we're going with that look, huh? And you know, and then when they finally have her grow hair in the what if it's blonde. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. And the the interesting thing is is that you know, late later on when it's like oh, Thanos has to sacrifice something he loves, he actually has to go and like hunt down Gamora cuz it just he he doesn't actually love Nebula. Like yeah, he even says it in the movie. That Gamora is his favorite. You don't really. I mean a, a loving parent. Would never openly say that they had a favorite child. But Thanos is not a loving parent. Yeah. And and the thing is. Is that I, I think it's really. Sick. That the. Soul stone even kind of works. You know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, because I, I don't think that there's even any, any real love there, but. Thanos believes he loves her, and I think that's enough for the stone, which, you know, eh. Yeah. As, as they went through the movie, there was something that I noticed that I didn't notice the first time I watched it, is that if you go to the. Part of the movie, the part that it that was in the original trailer where you see the the lineup of the guardians with their names and stuff, and you, and they show you Quill with his little you know middle finger crank thing, and you, they show his DNA and you and they say unknown DNA detected, so they were foreshadowing that right at the beginning of the movie, and you're not even paying attention to it. Yeah, because he's he's doing silly things there in the the middle of the screen. Yeah. Um, the, the thing is, is that when they, you know, after their truly amazing fight scene, which bravo to that fight scene there on Xandar, uh, as Rocket and Groot are trying to capture Quill for the bounty and, uh, Gamora and Quill are fighting over the orb, um, but, you know, we learned so much about all four of their personalities. So it's it's great exposition. Uh, just through their fight style, which is what a great fight choreography can do if it's I, really elevated. I, you, know, you kind of mentioned when we talked about Clone Wars last week how... You know, Bogatan fighting with her legs, and that's kind of what Gamora is doing in, in this fight scene. Yeah, and the way that Rocket, you know, he's he's small, and you know, if you've ever seen a raccoon fight in real life when it gets angry, you know, they are all claws and teeth, but 
Rocket basically entirely fights with weaponry. You know, he's all guns or throwing things or, you know. Um, Groot, on the other hand, is entirely fights with his body, you know. He's uh, tall. He's, you know, literally strong as a tree. Well, yeah, but he also, you know, grows out his limbs and, and things like that. So it's entirely manipulation of various parts of his body to turn himself into a weapon. Um, Quill is constantly trying to outwit the opponent. I mean, he's fully aware that he cannot beat Gamora in a one-on-one fight. Gamora, yeah. is, just, Gamora is just too good. And so, he, so he's got a Gamora, he's got, yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, he's he's using his gadgets. You know, he plants his his rocket boost, uh, the 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 rocket from his boot onto Gamora to to launch her, and then using his guns on her because in a fair he he, he can't win a fair fight against her. So he has yeah, to, he's 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 very much a a trickster kind of fight style. Um, and Gamora is very stealth, knives, you know, or flexibility in combat, which I like. And you see all four of their fighting styles, uh, come through throughout that, that action sequence. But I like that once they get captured and you see them in the prison when they're not allowed their various tools you see other parts of their personality come out um whereas you know quill and gamora both try to melt into the background so that they can assess the situation rocket tries to immediately start figuring out the lay of the prison and when a prisoner comes up to try to make an example of the the new guys you know uh rocket immediately tries to use Groot to be like no 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 i i run the show now <laughs> you know i mean you know the, the old me, adage it, the old adage of uh, of prison, you know, find the biggest guy and knock him out. Well, yeah, and once the biggest guy shows up, Rocket's like, okay, yeah, I realize I look like the the tiny little raccoon, but see the giant tree? Yeah, no, that's the muscle. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and 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 we get another cameo here, James Gunn nodding to his roots because we got a trauma guy here. We got Lloyd Kaufman. Yeah. So, and uh, we also we also get uh as the voice of one of the prisoners, not necessarily the body, we get Nathan Fillion, who was in James Gunn's directorial debut Slither, which I highly recommend if you are able to stomach it. <laughs> it is not a movie for the faint of stomach. Um but if you're able to deal with uh, some 
body horror and some very strange gore. It is an excellent horror film starring Nathan Fillion. And uh, that was the directorial debut of James Gunn. But yeah, James Gunn did get his start in trauma uh, working for Lloyd Kaufman, the uh, founder and head of trauma. And then, you know, some people who didn't like what James Gunn had to say had to bring all of that up and then, you know, get him fired. And we all know how that went out. Yeah, uh, a really interesting, a really interesting moment in uh, Disney Marvel where a bunch of people connected with both Disney and Marvel who had worked with James Gunn over the years basically kind of were like, all right, uh, I don't want to be associated with you anymore if you're going to kick. James Gunn out and uh, Disney but, you know, Marvel reconsidered and brought him back on board. But you know, if that didn't happen, we wouldn't have gotten the good Suicide Squad. But the good Suicide Squad movie. Yeah, that that too. Um, the the interesting thing about it though is that a lot of people are like, oh, why did they back down on James Gunn? Is it's because uh, James Gunn actually did the work and actually changed uh i've been following james gunn's career for uh the entirety of james gunn's career i i saw his yeah from trauma onwards uh you underestimate how long i have been a trauma fan um back in in my early days of going to conventions lloyd kaufman was always there uh, the trauma table was always a, a start of mine. I have an autographed copy of uh, Tromeo and Juliet, which was like James Gunn's like earliest work with trauma, I think. Mm. Um, also a movie not for the faint of heart uh, <laughs> or faint of stomach, <laughs> but a very interesting film. To um, be fair, that's 90% of trauma. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Trauma is is not a thing you should bring the kitties to ever. But if you are a uh, fully grown adult who would like to see some very interesting and strange movies of a certain sort, um, yeah, uh, you have to know what you're getting into with trauma films. Uh, it, it's very interesting that uh, trauma decided to basically do a modern version of a uh, very old play called Tis Pity She's a Whore. Um, and if you are a academic literary fan enough to understand what that means, you are both disgusted and intrigued by that. And the fact that James Gunn wrote it and Lloyd Kaufman directed it, and it is a thing that exists. Uh yeah, and it's actually shockingly well done. Um, so, but yeah, that was that was one of his earliest projects, and uh, I've been following him since then. And yes, as a guy who worked for Troma when he was younger, he was a bit of an edge lord, and then he grew up. Unfortunately, a lot of the edge lords didn't. Yeah, so some people went back and looked at a lot of his edgelord stuff that was on the internet and was like, this is what he still believes. And he went, no, I don't. And you can look at the stuff I post now and see that I don't. 
And it's true. You can look at the stuff he does now and see that he has changed. Uh, and that's what the people around him who stood up for him said. They were like, no, he made jokes. He realized those jokes were harmful. He has disavowed those jokes and doesn't make jokes like that anymore. That is what happens when you grow up as a person. We are going to have to learn as a species that by the nature of the internet, we now have, you know, people like you and I at our age, when we were growing up, we said and did a lot of ridiculous and silly and unadvised stuff. Mm. But because that's what kids do and young adults do. We did not have the internet or social media when we were doing them. When we first started on social media, none of us kind of realized that that stuff was going to stick around. Yeah, we learned very quickly that the internet is forever. <laughs> yeah, and so a lot of us, um, I think, just kind of said and did stuff where we were like, ha ha ha, this is funny right now, and we didn't think of how it's going to look five or ten years later. And then five or ten years later, if we're good and decent people, I think you always look at yourself five or ten years ago and go, oh man, that was kind of ridiculous. I've learned to be a better person. I can't believe I was such a dumbass. <laughs> yeah. Um, because that's the nature of growing and changing. Unfortunately, the internet kind of snapshots you along the process of growing and changing. And I think we're going to have to learn as people that just like you look at cringy pictures of you and go, oh, why didn't somebody tell me that hairstyle didn't look good on me? Why didn't somebody tell me that outfit wasn't that fashionable? Okay? That we're going to have to look back at things we said and did on the internet and go, ooh, I'm glad I learned that making jokes like that wasn't very helpful or useful. And then we're going to have to learn to look at the things we say and do today and go, Oh, I'm glad that they've learned and changed. And, and learned to judge people by that instead. And then there are some people who don't change at all, and then they, because being an edgelord made them famous on the internet, so they have to be an edgelord forever. Yeah. And I think if you look at somebody five years ago and say, ooh, that was cringe, and you go, hey, that thing you said five years ago, you still stand by that? And if they go like, yeah, I'm still posting that as of five minutes ago, that's when you go, okay, yeah, you're you're still cringe. You know? Mm -hmm. But if you look at somebody like James Gunn, you go, hey, that thing you posted five years ago, you still doing that? And he goes, oh, no, that was horrific. I have learned better now. Then you go like, okay, cool. I was young and stupid then. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I think I think that's just how we're going to have to learn to just deal with this stuff, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that that's why somebody like James Gunn gets a pass where other people do not, is because he looked at it, and by the time it came out, he's like, 
yeah, that was the old me. Look at the current me. And everybody looked at the current him and was like, yeah, all right. Yeah. Uh, but let's get back to the movie here because we've reached Batista. And yeah, as the wrestling fan in me, oh, hey, Batista, he left WWE. He's going to be he's going to be a movie star now. And my question was, Batista was never really that good of a promo. How is he going to turn this into an acting career? And the answer was, amazingly. Yeah, shocked me. (laughs) And and he would do interviews. Like, he went through, uh, you know, acting class after acting class, trying to perfect that craft and going audition after audition just to try to get this part. Now, I don't know if it was he was a fan of the character or he just wanted, he said, hey, the MCU is a big thing now. If I get this role, I'm going to be a big thing. And uh, that's what I think he he was going with. And he got the role and, you know, he's turned this into not a bad film career. I mean, a lot of his movies are like Netflix qualities now, but, you know, a film career is a film career. Yeah, and I mean, I I like some of his other roles. Mm-hmm. Um, this is still his best role, I th- I think. But at least my personal favorite of his roles. But I've seen him in other stuff, and I'm like, oh yeah, Batista's in this. Like it? Like like uh, you know, I I I saw Glass Onion when it came out, and it's like, oh, he was so good in Glass Onion. Yeah. Yeah, playing. What you said, you know, a, a cringe, uh, uh, a grown-up, cringy edgelord. Yeah, that that kind of manosphere weirdo, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was excellent at that, and the reason that joke worked is because that is exactly the opposite type of guy of him for real. Yeah. Um, and so at that him kind of being like, I know I look like that, but that's kind of the, the opposite kind of dude of what he is, uh, was just so funny. And he showed that he can do comedy, you know, uh, him playing, you know, the, the literal, the literal thing for a joke in here. And also, um, those streaming commercials he did, or he's the fisherman in the boat. I don't know if you've seen those. Yeah, I've seen those, and those are... I mean, he really just has some of the best comedy chops around. Um, and again, you know, for as I said before, he was never that good of a promo as a wrestler, but he vastly improved when he decided just he, to fully commit to acting. Yeah. He might just be a guy that's not that great at improv, but, you know, you Possible. give him a script and, and he nails it, you know. Even when he came back to do, you know, that one WrestleMania, it was still the same level of not that good at, at the, at, in a live setting. So maybe just being a a film actor with a script is more his forte versus live improv promos. Yeah, which no shame in that. Some some people that's their that's their thing. And uh, you know, if he can deliver on the day with a script, then good for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, what whatever he's doing, I'm I'm loving it at the moment. So, you know, keep doing that and I'll keep watching. I'm kind of sad that that he's saying he's ready to to wrap up Drax though that the 
the makeup and and all that is kind of getting to him because that is a really makeup heavy role i mean even what we're seeing in the clips in in uh, from the trailers he's kind of going full body on on the suit yeah kind of just doing the makeup on the face I mean that is that is some really intensive makeup because they they went you know the original character in the the comics he was green but they didn't want people to think like oh this is another Hulk situation mm-hmm. so they went for uh, gray and scars instead of tattoos like the Drax in the comic had like some tattoos he had but batista himself is covered in tattoos and i think they didn't want people to get it confused with like oh we're just seeing batista's tattoos Mm. so they went with the bright red scar patterns to make it look different so that people knew it wasn't just his his real tattoos showing through the makeup so that made it like just a real complex makeup job. So I don't begrudge him that he's wanting to wear uh, more clothing as it's going on to to make the makeup job faster because that's got to be an early day. It kind of reminds me of Jennifer Lawrence having to do the Mystique makeup for the X-Men and how much she hated it. Oh, yeah. That's just, there's some of those people that you're like, oh, I feel so bad for you, and I want them to find, like, a CG solution or something. For all know. the for all the love we give to, to movies that are still using practical effects, sometimes, maybe. I mean, like, I've seen the, the, the time-lapse films of uh, Karen Gillan get putting the 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 nebula makeup on and how how long it is and granted it's it's sped up so you these have to be you know several hours of prosthetics put on her on her head to make her look like that yeah i have i have nothing but respect for any actor that can deal with heavy prosthetics or heavy makeup because i know how uncomfortable even just small amounts of that is yeah i mean even if it's just cosplaying at a convention for a few hours that's still a lot of prosthetics you're putting on yeah and just even under like normal fluorescent lights it gets so hot and sticky and then you're like oh the the actual like bright film lights and the reapplication of that for hours after hours after hours doing all that stunt work and the yeah i mean oh yeah yeah and you know with with batista leaving the series after this film it kind of makes me sad that we're probably not going to get the character of moon dragon who is uh drax's daughter also, much like in the comics, he was also given a new body to be a a a warrior in. Whether... Yeah, well, I mean, when they changed that part of Drax's backstory, when it wasn't like the soul put in a new body, I kind of just figured we were never going to get that character anyway. Because mm. Drax in this one talked about like having 
seen his his wife and child die um and him escaping or being left alive by Thanos uh rather than him being given that that chance for revenge like he was in the comics yeah so let's talk about the meme now that we're at this point in the movie because uh this movie started a meme with rocket just taking random body parts from people like that guy's leg that guy's arm that guy's eye hey hey bucky how much for the arm yeah, I I love the the idea of of Rocket wanting random uh prosthetic body parts from people. And uh the fact that like I said it it came back in that Christmas special with Nebula being the best gift giver. <laughs> and the I I teared up a little bit, you know? I laughed so loud when they when that box opened and there's Bucky's arm, and Rocket's just like Nebula. It's it's Bucky's arm. How how did you even get this? Because I want to know how she got that. Please show us like a, a short comic or a, like a scene in What If or something. Nebula going back for Bucky's arm. I mean, they are filming. I mean, they they should start filming uh, the new Captain America movie. I don't know. I don't know if if Bucky's going to be in the film, but if he is, like, just get Karen Gillan for like a day, and just or even some- just have Bucky like tell the story for just a second in therapy or something. Like, I I want to know how that happened. Like, you know, Please. You know, hey, Bucky, are you going to join us on this mission? I can't. Why? I woke up this morning and my arm was missing. <laughs> I have to go get it back from that little blue weirdo. Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, this, it's su- such a great thing. But I, I do love that. I do love that meme of like Rocket being like, I didn't actually <laughs> need it. I just thought it would be funny. Um, the the cool thing about Rocket though is that behind the scenes, uh, the the motion capture it's not really motion capture, but like the the stand in on set for them to relate to him has been uh Sean Gunn. Yep. Um. So Bradley Cooper will come in after the fact and uh, lay down the voice. But on set, uh, Sean Gunn, who is uh, there playing um, one of the the Ravagers in the uh, Yondu's crew... um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Craglin is the the name they give him. Um, he's also uh James he's Gunn's also younger brother. Yeah, I mean, he, uh, he also does the motion capture in this movie for for Thanos. Yeah, but he he just kind of he just kind of fills in <laughs> wherever. It, it it's funny how like there's three characters in this movie that's just Sean Gunn in a mocap suit. 
Yeah. Um, but he's been working with his brother. I mean, he started back on uh, Tromeo and Juliet um, as uh, one of the Capulets, I think. Um, so I've been following his career for just as long. Um, but yeah, he, uh, he does, you know, all the, the onset stuff for, for Rocket. Um, and then the, they fill him in later with CGI, of course, but, uh, Rocket is by far my favorite, uh, of the, the Guardians. Close second of Nebula, kind of once she she joins as as more a full member of the team. But uh, Rocket was immediately kind of my my favorite. And Rocket, there. Rocket, another character that's been allowed to grow as these movies progress. Like in this movie, he's just you know he gets ridiculed for just existing. I didn't ask to exist. Yeah, which was always. I, I kind of like that scene in the the bar where you know Peter and Gamora are outside, and you'd see like Peter trying to put the moves on Gamora and teach her what pelvic music sorcery. is, and yeah, <laughs> pelvic sorcery of the dancing and and all that. And you're like, eh, okay, whatever. They're gonna make this a thing, but uh, the um. But we we come back in with the the fight with Drax and and Rocket and and Groot there, and you find out that it started because Rocket was so upset that Drax kept calling him. Uh, what Vermin. was it at that point? Vermin, yeah. And then he was pointing out that. Uh, Gamora had called him a rodent earlier and that um, he didn't even know what species he was yeah, until Peter until said it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because he had never seen anything that looked like him, not even a, a real raccoon. Um, so I don't know if it's going to uh, turn turn out that th he was just an Earth animal taken. Um, like I said, we haven't seen the new movie, but uh, I would say that's a, a, a big possibility. I mean, that considering, considering we're seeing the other, I don't know... Uh, I'll just say, because it is in the comics, the other half-world characters. Possibly? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what exact storyline they're going to give, but one of the trailers shows three other animals, and they all look identical to Earth animals. So I'm guessing that they're going to to say that, that he was a legitimate Earth raccoon prior rather than some you know i mean they might make it a multiverse thing now that the the multiverse is a is a thing um but if i like, had a guess i would say that they're they're going to to uh say he was just a normal earth raccoon i mean there's that 
great scene where, where where they're in where they're putting on their prison uniforms and Quill's just looking at Rocket's back and you see the cybernetics in his back. Yeah, that scene always gets to me because it, Rocket seems so kind of nonchalant but also very defensive in that bar scene about what he is but we get that little moment where you look at him because you can't see any of the cybernetics or the scarring really when rocket is fully dressed in his battle gear but in that prison scene you really do have that moment of yeah, we understand this is not a regular raccoon because he's walking around and talking and stuff, and they don't generally do that. But you get the full weight, finally, of what was done to him because somebody said earlier he came from an experimentation on, quote, lower life forms. Mm -hmm. And seeing the the scarring and the missing patches of fur and the the implants in his spine and, and stuff like that. It has always been like a really weird and impactful moment whenever I watched that first film back. Yeah. So yeah, I don't I don't really know how much of that they're gonna go into in the third movie, but I have a feeling it's it's more than none. So <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and well, we also, you know, originally it was just meant to be a cameo, but now a full-fledged member of the Guardians as of the Christmas special, Cosmo the Space Dog. Yeah, who we we see in that in that bit at the end there when we get our cameo by by Howard the Duck as well. Uh, in that. I mean, when when they first enter the collector's. Uh, room his collection room you you know rocket kind of gives cosmo the side eye cosmo based off Laika, the real russian dog that went to space the first living creature to be sent into space from, from from earth and became super intelligent and but we don't actually see that until we get to the christmas special yeah um the real Laika, of course did not become super intelligent uh, sadly, poor Laika. Mm, yeah. Um, however, the thing is, is that the the Marvel Universe has, has always had, like, you know, you just end up on a planet and there's, you know, talking animals and stuff, you know. Yeah. Or, you know, there's a, a bit opens up in the multiverse and it's, oh, this is Duck World where Howard the Duck lives, you know. This is Pig World where Spider Pig li or Spider Ham lives. Yeah, and he just all of the all of the other characters in that universe are sentient animals, you know. Mm -hmm. Um but Rocket was always different in how he he came to be. And I do like that we're getting a little more into that, especially now that we have characters in the MCU like Alligator Loki and Throg. Mm -hmm. Even though Throg and Alligator Loki are kind of throwaway jokes, we don't really know a lot about their universe and how they came about. 
Um, they are there, and we've seen them, and they are canon now. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Um. I I like that we're we're getting in into that, but the the guardians was a really great way of opening up into the weirdness of the MCU or or, yeah. or Marvel in, in general. Because but before that we'd we'd very much stuck to the the more acceptable parts of Marvel. The furthest we got was Thor being an alien, and most of those movies take place on Earth. At yeah, this, it, at least up to this point. the The idea that the Norse gods were really aliens who had visited Earth that was that was kind of you know they they look human but aren't was about the the weirdest that we had gotten at this point uh, in the MCU. And now we're getting a human talking about like, well, you know, I was I was with a girl and she had tentacles and teeth in all the wrong places. <laughs> you know, okay, you don't okay, really okay. Shit, it's the but... one thing it's the one thing that bothers me about this movie. Okay. Quill was ten ish when he left Earth. How does he know what Jackson Pollock is? Or who Jacqueline? How does he know who Jack Jackson Pollock is? I mean, his mom sounded like a really cool chick. You know, I knew who Jackson Pollock was at ten. Eh. I mean, I wasn't a normal kid, but if his mom was going through the the thing of you know, you have to listen to all the music I was into. And stuff, she was probably, like, and you have to watch all of the movies I was in. Because some of those movies, yes, he would have watched because they were the new movies coming out when he was, you know, before he got abducted. But I some mean, of the movies he mentions would have had to have been his mom being like, I rented this at the video store and we're going to sit down and watch it. I can just, you know, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure Quill, like, saw Star Wars and stuff like that. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that would have been the, the is, new thing, but... It, it is canon that Peter Quill, as a child, went to Epcot. Because that's the canon of the ride. <laughs> yeah. But there there are some of his some of his things where you know he was watching them because his mom was into him or his grandparents were into him mm. rather than you know and his mom did seem like a you know from from what we know in the second film his mom did seem like a very artsy hippie kind of chick so that does seem more like a reference that his mom would have taught him. Granted, he he made his first appearance in 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 Dark World, but Benicio del Toro as the Collector, just amazing. Yeah, and we've talked before about how it's never really mentioned in the movies, but he is supposed to be the brother of Jeff Goldblum's character. 
The Grandmaster, yeah. And the Grandmaster. The closest we ever get is a picture on Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout at California Adventure of the two together. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, we know that the Grandmaster is still out there. If you, you know, he's still out there. We don't know about, we don't know if, uh, if the Collector is still around. But, you know, I, I do want to see those two characters together and see what, what those two actors can do together. Yeah, I mean, at the very least, why why are they not doing more what-ifs for I mean, this? We know, we know there is another season of it, but we don't know when that's coming. Yeah. I honestly don't know why they're not expanding what-ifs into, like, small shorts. Like, live-action shorts. Yeah. You know? Just, like, grab grab a couple of actors and shove them on screen for, like, three to five minutes and, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I do like there's, like, the reference to the Dark World. By, well, because we have the assistant that was in that scene from the Dark World now in a cage because apparently she decided to go against him. Yeah. Um... And we get the- I I do I do really really respect the um the one chick uh that is the unfortunate slave of the the uh, the collector there um Karina I think mm-hmm. is the name they give her who. He's like, oh, yeah, no, this is an Infinity Stone. Let me give you an entire, like, PowerPoint presentation about the Infinity Stone (laughs) Um, for the sake of the audience. I don't really know why he's giving it to, like, in the context of the film, I don't know why he's giving it to them other than this is my shiny thing. Look at my new shiny thing. (laughs) I do. I'm going to say this. I do prefer this version of the explanation versus what we would get in Infinity War. Yeah, I mean, I kind of like Benicio Del Toro kind of giving us his rundown of the Infinity Stones better. But, you know. Um, But yeah, he just stands there and is like, now that you've brought me an Infinity Stone, let me tell you what they're about. Via this nifty little PowerPoint, um, and as and as it's happening, she's just looking at it. It gives me power. I can be free. I can be free. Well, no, but one of the things he says is like, no mortal can hold it. And I like that her her idea is just like, all right, I'm gonna unalive myself via Infinity Stone. Let's do this. And just trash the place. <laughs> yeah, it will either give me power or it will absolutely erase me from existence. And either or, I am okay with that. Let's do it. No hesitation. Because um, I don't know what he was doing to the poor girl, but I have a lot of thoughts and none of them are nice. So... Mm. You know, I mean, bravo to her for picking her moment and taking the way out. Right before it, he's he's berating her because she's not cleaning the cages properly. 
or to 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 his satisfaction. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 not I'm not, you know, I'm not looking down on her at all. It's like, you know, the the first obligation of a slave is to escape. So, you know, go for it, Chica. That's that's your out. Um and, you know, she took a lot of his stuff with him. Mm-hmm. Possibly even him. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Post-credit scene, he's fine. Yeah, post-credit scene, he's fine. But, you know, she tried. And, you know, of course, we we get the scene where where, where Drax calls in Ronan's forces, and all all of it leads up to Gamora being in space. And it's another instance of Quill not being quite human because he's able to survive in the vacuum of space without his helmet on a lot longer than Gamora was. Yeah. Yeah. So this is another hint that Quill isn't quite human. Yeah, because he uh, is not reacting to the vacuum of space the way he should be because he's able to, like, look around and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, Yeah, granted, he's, he's still, you know, freezing up because space, but he's not, you know... He seems to be doing quite well for someone who is not breathing, period. Yeah. Um, but I I love Rocket freaking out in that moment. And I love when they take them on board and they're, uh, you know, Peter negotiates them out. You know, Quill does the whole negotiation of, like... Hey, if you let us join the crew, you know, Gamora knows where you could sell it. It'll be great. And we'll be able to destroy Ronan and um, kind of gets back on Yondu's good side. Yondu's like, hey, I, I always knew you had a really awesome spine there, my dude. You know, you were my favorite. Um. And then all of a sudden, Rocket just shows back up with, like, tracks standing on top of the ship holding a gun. And he's like, yeah, I designed this thing myself. It's going to blow a real big hole in your ship. No Rocket, Give me back good. my friends. No Rocket, it's all good. It's all good. Everything's cool now. Oh, hey, Quill, how are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's like, I, like the tonal change. In that performance, it's like, you know, I'll kill you all if you don't give me back my friends. Oh, hi, how are you doing? Yeah, but I love that all the Ravagers on the ship are like, yeah, there's no way that that tiny little gun is going to do anything to us. And the only one that believes him is Quill, who's like, no, 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 we are in serious danger. Please let me talk to the absolutely insane raccoon in the ship. I mean, we saw what that gun can do as from what what, what we saw it to do to to uh, to Ronan. Well, I mean, yeah, but that's later. Mm-hmm. Like at this point, it's just Rocket making a bluff yeah. to everybody. Like we don't know either, but Quill's the only one that's kind of started to get an idea that. Rocket isn't always talking out of his tail about his inventions because he saw him walk in to the prison and be like, oh, we're escaping this prison. 
and then immediately just whip up a plan on the spur of the moment when everything went wrong and get them out of the prison. Mm-hmm. And I think Quill, in all of his, you know, Quill's not exactly the brightest, but he's just bright enough to realize, like, okay, the talking raccoon walked into the prison and went, I'm going to be out of here within 24 hours, and we were out of there within 24 hours. Maybe listen to the talking raccoon. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and I do like we kind of uh, flip into you know we. I mean, it's a trope, but I do like it. It's the 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 heist montage where they go over the plan as you see the plan unfolding on screen. Yeah, which is kind of cool, and then you know get them as you know. A unified team hey you know we've all lost something but now we can make sure no one else has to lose that lose it again kind of thing no one else has, that uh you know we all lost something we can make sure no one else loses anything else and make sure that you know the innocent people of xandar don't have to die for our mistake yeah but i i love them all you know standing up and being like we're with you and then they look at rocket he's like great yeah i'm standing up too we're all standing here like idiots in a circle everybody feel better now yeah okay because i'm with rocket like why do i have to stand up i can just sit here and agree with you and then i'm comfortable and agreeing with you like why do i have to stand up you know i'm with you just let me sit here and be comfortable and agree yeah. with you. <laughs> the dogfight on Xandar between the Ravagers and Ronan's forces is actually pretty cool. Yeah, and and Peter Serafinowitz, you know, coming to to help with the Novacore forces and being like, hey Quill, I was against this. Please do not make me you know, regret showing up and helping. <laughs> I mean, I, I just like a John C. Riley trying to talk to Glenn Close. Like, he says he's an a-hole, but he's not a dick. <laughs> well, do you believe him? Well, I don't think anybody's 100% a dick. <laughs> She's like, no, no, no. Do you think he's here to help? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I think he's here to help. Okay. I mean, I mean, the way they explain it is, you know, they're wanted, they're wanted fugitives. Why would they go back to the planet where they're wanted fugitives if they don't have any, if if, if they weren't there to help, you know? Yeah, Instead I mean, of, just let Ronan destroy the planet. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's sound logic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I think it's also a. Uh, uh, Part of the reason why they didn't go into the comic book Nova having the powers from the helmet because I, it, it would have made this fight a little unfair. Essentially having like 40 Green Lanterns against against uh, uh, Ronan's forces. Yeah, plus you're, you'd have to like CGI a bunch of random dudes flying yeah. around. And it's it's much easier to do that with ships, I think, you know. And, you know, um, like, uh, yeah, and just, can we talk a little bit about my, Michael Rooker as Yondu? Because we have. Oh, I, I would love to talk about Michael Rooker all day in, in any part. 
like again, Yandu, the the only member of the Guardian Three Thousand team that's in this movie, and he gets he just he just talks like Michael Rooker. <laughs> well, I mean, it's one of those things of some people get typecast for a reason. You know, if you if you get Christopher Walken, you want him to be Christopher Walken. Yes, yeah, you know, if you get Michael Rooker, you want him to be Michael Rooker. You get Sam Jackson, he's going to be Sam Jackson. You get Jeff Goldblum, he's going to be Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, I mean, there's just some people that you you know what you're getting, and you want them to be that. Just you know, his that that whole like sort of tough love father figure to 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 Peter, and they and the Ravagers kind of call him out on it as like you know you're soft on the boy, you know you always let him get away with this stuff. Well, I I do agree with Quill when he's he's like who uses the threat of being eaten against a child? But I do also understand that with Yondu that was perfectly normal, you know? Just the scene where he, you know, like like they they tease they, they you know they tease all movie about that arrow, and when he finally gets a chance to really let loose with that arrow with the whistling, it's a cool scene. I I I agree, and I I think that there is nothing cooler than we get the setup for the whistling arrow on the ship. Where he's holding it to Quill's throat, and you're like, this seems kind of weird, you know? And then you get him down on the planet facing Ronan's forces, and they're like, ha, we have you surrounded. And he's like, oh, really? Do you? And then he just starts whistling, and the arrow starts whipping around. And then he stops whistling and grabs the arrow, and just all the guys fall down in sequence. It's a hell of a scene. It's a great scene. Yeah. He he's just such a fun presence and I love that they finally give him more to do in um the second in film. the second movie, yeah. That he had that the audience such had a such positive respect reception to the character in this film that Gunn said, you know what? We're we're gonna do more with this character. We're gonna put him make him more, you know, put him more in the movie. As I've said, you know, we've talked about this before, but it's like the MCU, they just know how to pull on your heartstrings that the death of a tree can make you cry. That whole We Are Groot scene, I I, I did well up in the, in the theater when I first saw this movie. Yeah, like, when... The explosions are happening around them. Groot just grows his body around them. Rocket saying, Groot, what are you doing? You'll die. Yeah, and to a lesser extent, that beautiful scene where they're on the ship and he's like, I can't see a thing, and Groot, like, puts out the bioluminescent, you know, whatever that is. It shows that Groot is a lot more powerful than he's letting on. Yeah, but that that whole thing where, you know, Groot saves them... 
And then, you know, they, they go down and, you know, they're still fighting Ronan and I love Quill's bit about why would, why would you want, why would you want to, you know, save the, the galaxy? Why do you care about the galaxy? You know, just let Ronan do whatever, Thanos do whatever. And he's like, well, I'm one of the idiots who lives in the, the galaxy. <laughs> he's got a point. Yeah. And it always reminded me of the, possibly the best, one of the best episodes of The Tick ever to air. Uh which was, I believe it's called The Tick versus The Big Nothing. And the aliens are trying to explain to The Tick why it's such a big existential crisis. And they're like, look, this is Earth. It is where you keep your stuff. Now it is gone. <laughs> He's like, no, not my stuff. You know, like. <laughs> and so like I laughed so hard in the theater when I first saw that where it's Quill was like yeah I care about the galaxy and one of the idiots who lives in it you know <laughs> yeah and just you know the, all the, the plan going to, to perfection and Quill just shooting Ronan with that gun that they, that, that they teased the entire movie and he it, gets up because he has the power stone yeah, and the the dance off being the the final resolution because we started the movie that same way. Yeah, and then of course we get that callback to the thing the collector said about you know there there were the people who were able to hold on for to it for slightly longer by combining their powers, but it destroyed them all. And then, yeah, you get Quill holding the, the stone, and then Gamora holds on to Quill, and then Drax holds on to Quill, and then Rocket holds on to Drax, and they're all in pain, that, that, that purple light burning their bodies, and all of a sudden they just, all four just stand together, the pain is gone, and they're just saying, and they're just using that, that stone to its full potential. How are you doing this? Well, like you said. Or the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. And I do and like also, that. one of them is, you know, has a half, secret. Half <laughs> one of them is yeah. half God. Yeah. But, I, but, but, but I, I do, I mean, it is very interesting that it's Ronan that gives them the name Guardians of the Galaxy. Because, and it's, it's meant to be an insult. Yeah. These are your guardians? These are the people who are going to guard the galaxy from me? And then they take that name and, yeah, we're the Guardians now. And, it, I mean, it's a great scene. And, you know, like, especially that, the, the, the callback to the hospital scene where, where, where Quill's mother is saying, take my hand, Peter, take my hand. And then you hear Gamora, Peter, take my hand. It was kind of like Quill's redemption for not taking his mother's hand all those years ago. Yeah. Um, but you know, we we get that, and I 
the other thing I like is that that I I really hadn't noticed until this rewatch because I, I I hadn't watched this this one all the way through in a few years, which is you know kind of after the resolution and they do the swap with the stone and you know they get their records expunged. I do like the bit where where Rocket's like. Okay, but if a guy has some stuff, and I really want that stuff, like, more than that guy wants that stuff, can I take that stuff? <laughs> and they're like, no, that's theft. You can't take that stuff. And he's like, but you don't understand. I really want that stuff, though. <laughs> I mean, you can't argue with that logic. It's yeah. good sound logic, Rocket, you know? Um and then I, I also like Drax's logic about, okay, but a guy is really annoying me, and I remove his spine. <laughs> that's okay, though, right? I think, no, that's murder. <laughs> Literally the worst crime. I, I think I think two of my my favorite bits in the in the movie are, are right there at the end, which is one where. Rocket is so in grief over losing Groot that he lets Drax pet him. Yeah, he gets And then and then it's it's not like you know, Drax isn't doing it like sarcastically, you know. You know or, yeah, it, it's, or, it's 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 genuine. It's real. Yeah, it's genuine. He he wants to comfort Rocket, you know. His like, friend, you know, they're friends now. Although, you know, uh, don't call your friend, don't call your, your lady friend uh, a whore, Brax. Don't do that. Well, I, I like that he insults Gamora and then immediately beats the crap out of somebody else for doing the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know. No one says that to my friend. <laughs> yeah. Um. It's it's a very kind of like big brother move, you know. It's like I can tease you, but nobody else does. Yeah. Um. And then the bit at the end where I had forgotten that they had used basically the same line uh, earlier on in the MCU, where Quill says. You know what? What should we do? Something good, something bad, bit of both. Uh, which, if you know anything about in in comic book universe, Peter Quill is a really funny line in retrospect. Um, because in in universe, Peter Quill is quite a quite a bit of both. Uh, in the in the more Loki sense, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, and it makes me very sad. We will never get to see that in the films. Yeah, and of course we get you know he finally opens that gift from his mom, and it's volume two, awesome mix, and we get a whole new set of songs, and which will be the soundtrack to the sequel, which is how they tease the sequel at the end. Yeah, that's a little bit of sequel bait, and and we get Baby Groot, the first appearance of Baby Groot as a sapling. Yeah, and 
man, after this movie came out, so many people they they released the dancing Groot potted plant, which they, I have. Yeah, it was like that was like everyone wanted that. Yeah, I mean, I I had it. It was sound. I mean, I still have it somewhere. <laughs> um, it's sound activated. You know, you turn it on, and anytime you speak or play music or breathe or walk past it in a gentle breeze it starts dancing <laughs> um it was cute but eventually you you had to turn it off cuz it, it was the sound uh microphone on that to make it start dancing was so sensitive um but uh it was cute yeah of course, our post credits scene we get Howard the Duck, the first appearance of Howard the Duck since that original movie. Which yeah, is- and honestly, I'm I'm really annoyed that they haven't used him more. And I I love that you know this is a post Lucasfilm acquisition because Howard the Duck was a Lucasfilm project. That was yeah. a Lucas. That was a George Lucas project. So they technically now had the film rights to Howard the Duck. Well, here's the thing. Let me ask you: When you saw this in the theater, how did the theater respond to Howard the Duck? I don't think they knew who he was. I did not expect Seth Green to be voicing him. Yeah, I really loved that it was Seth Green. My theater. There was an initial moment of shock, and then after it it went to black, and it was like Howard the Duck created by you know, and people were like, "Oh my god, that really was Howard the Duck." There were a couple of people that was like, "Why was there a duck?" You know, because they were too young to kind of realize. But all of the older audience that like knew who Howard the Duck was, like we absolutely lost our minds. And there were there were quite a few of us. Yeah, like um, because it I was mean, it was an of, opening night showing in a packed theater, and there was like so much like, oh my god, we're getting a new Howard Duck movie. Oh my god, how are you? How are you? Oh my god, you know. And I was like, it was such a like overwhelming reaction, at least in my theater, that I was, I'm so shocked that they haven't actually done anything with Howard the Duck, and also. I haven't heard any rumors that they're even planning to. Like, like there was rumors of a Howard the Duck series, but this was when this was before Marvel Studios had taken over all the television stuff. Howard the Duck was going to be a Hulu series, and it was going to be, uh, it was going to connect to that, um, to that Modoc series. Which was such a good series, and I hate that after what happened with Quantumania, we will probably never get anything MODOK ever again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm so depressed, I'm not even going to get into it, but that MODOK series was amazing. Go watch that MODOK series on Hulu. It was so good. Yeah, it was going to be MODOK, Hitmonkey, Howard the Duck, and I believe Tigress. And then they were going to lead to a a Hulu original movie called The Offenders. I heard about Modoc and Hitmonkey. I don't think I ever heard about the other two. They never got made. Well, I mean, I I heard that they were planning, but yeah. I don't even think I heard the rumors, which is kind of shocking. 
Yeah, that was at least that's how it was explained. How how I heard I read the the article. That was that was the original plan, prior to Feige taking over all of the television of uh, of Marvel. That that was the original plan was going to be, and you know it's it's it's, and then you know the so like that like that's stuff that I I kind of feel bummed out that we're not going to get that and the, you know Gabriel Luna. Uh, Ghostwriter series that was that was planned. Well, the thing is, is that there there still might be hope for that in future because of some of the stuff they're doing now with Daredevil: Born Again. Mm, possible is that everything that I keep hearing about Daredevil: Born Again keep showing more of a trend to try to bring in older bits of what Marvel television had done. Not all of it. Like, it's definitely clear that they're wanting to retcon or ignore some of the stuff that Marvel television had done. But just think about it. Recently, they even they brought in Black Bolt for the yeah for the for into the, the MCU. Even yeah. if even if it was a an alternate universe version, they've at least said that the Inhumans exist. Mm-hmm. And it was the same actor too. And it was the same actor. Okay, um, so they've. They've at least admitted that the Inhumans exist. Okay. And they've brought in, you know, Patrick Stewart in that same thing. So mutants exist. Even if they might retcon the main MCU reasoning, you know? And actors. Um, so these things are in play now. You know. Mm. It might just be. That. Um, you know. We had. The the version of Ghost Rider. That was in S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. Of course. And there's been a lot of talk. Of are they going to. Completely discount what happened. In the Shield TV series or not, in I mean, Agents was, of there, Shield, there, there's still heavy rumors that those characters might show up in Secret Invasion, uh, which I I would hope, and we're still waiting to see because that's you know going to be a couple of months still before we we get to see any of Secret Invasion. So I would hope that part of that would come through. But if they're going to do anything with Ghost Rider, they're they're probably going to have to reconcile once and for all what's going on there, you know? Because Shield pretty much is saying it, it, Johnny Blaze is out there, and he was the one that gave uh, the Gabriel Luna character the Ghost Rider powers. Yeah. Which people, um, but people still want Nicolas Cage to come back for that. I don't necessarily agree, but I understand the reasoning. 
Yeah, and I mean, Nick Cage has has mellowed some since then, and you know, I mean, I I could I could be down for you know him just being an older version, you know, coming in to pass on the the torch, the mantle, (laughs) (laughs) a flaming bike tire or something, Um, but. They're they're gonna have to reconcile these things, but the thing that I had hoped with the multiverse idea breaking open is that we would get the idea of the MCU not being a single unit anymore. Mm. As much as I have loved the interconnected one big story of the MCU one of the things that I had hoped for with bringing the multiverse in was that there would be room for other creators to play without being tied up with the you have to use your particular series or film to set up the grand meta narrative of whatever this phase is dealing with. Individual projects that don't necessarily fit in with the larger Marvel universe, you're saying? Yeah, I would like to have side stories. In that, that's what I've loved about the What If series. And honestly, to me, the What If series, I kind of hated how tied into the, the main series it ended up being. Because the whole thing at the end kind of ended up being a meta narrative about, you know, Strange Supreme or whatever. Like learning that you have to take care of the multiverse or some junk, you know? And it's kind of like I wanted them to be individual vignettes about stuff that could happen in the Marvel Universe. I kind of wanted WandaVision to just be like Wanda having a story. I kind of wanted Loki to just be Loki having a story or 18. You know, (laughs) I wanted it to be Loki skipping through his thousand plus years of existence just being like, hey, I remember the time that I did whatever. And it ended up being like, let's set up the next couple of phases of the, which I'm fine with as well in the sense of, you know, Marvel Universe is built on the two pillars of Daddy Issues and Loki. But it was like that with mostly all of them except for you know a couple of them seemed to get away a little bit and those were the ones where people were like I didn't quite like them as much except I loved them I loved She-Hulk for just being She-Hulk and I really wanted to see more stories in that because she got to just be her own thing and didn't have to spend all her time setting up like whatever 
Kang is going to be doing or I mean, whatever. They they clearly set up that there's going to be some sort of Hulk movie at some point. Yeah, and honestly, I I kind of the all the parts that were like let's set up a Hulk movie, I liked those the least out of the rest of it. Um I I don't know what if anything they were trying to uh set up with Moon Knight but I kind of respected Moon Knight for just being like hey I'm going to go off and be my own thing. Mm-hmm. Um I would have liked Ms Marvel better if it started out I think with the Marvels and then went into a Ms. Marvel TV show. Mm. Rather than the, the other way around. Rather than the other way around. Because it felt like a, you know, six or eight, however long episode uh, origin story. And an origin story should only be two hours at most. That then is going to lead into basically another origin story (laughs) for this same character and then maybe in season two we can get just like her weekly adventures of being a superhero which is what i wanted Mm. i wanted her just skipping around her you know that's the good thing about these quote-unquote street level heroes is i want it to just be like day in the life of a superhero or maybe season in the life of a superhero Mm. and i i love the reason i loved the marvel comics is because you could dip into the lives of various marvel superheroes and they were all kind of a little bit different unless they were doing a big team up and they didn't really have to connect unless they were doing a big team up every other year or something Mm. you know you might have like oh this this is leading up to the big you know grand story they're doing for some big event but most of the time it was just spider-man's doing his own thing and iron man's got his own thing and black widow's over there doing whatever and she hulk's over there doing her thing and Scarlet Witch is doing whatever she's doing, and the X-Men have, you know, their 17 books, their, you know. And you could dip in and out of all these different stories, and they were taking place in all different other kind of places, most of them in New York, granted, but some of them in space, or some of them in a different dimension, or whatever. And you could kind of pick where you wanted to go and who you wanted to follow and what you wanted to be. And you didn't necessarily have to be following everybody all the time to figure out everything. You could, and that was fun if you wanted. But, you know, if Spider-Man bored you for a bit, it was fine. You still had eight other people to follow, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. And I kind I kind of want that. I want that back, and I want them to maybe have that be in the the multiverse thing, or 
even in the same universe, like keep them all in the sacred timeline and just maybe be like, okay, they don't all have to be the same, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's what I loved about Guardians for the longest time is like, they just yeah, did their own thing. Yeah, they did their own thing. And then you knew that eventually when uh, the Infinity War saga, you know, got around to it, they'd show up and be like, oh, hey, was somebody looking for an Infinity Stone? Like, but for the most part, it was like nobody on Earth knew who these people were or what they were doing or why they should care. And then they showed up and people were like, talking raccoon? Walking tree? Okay, that's fine, but we gotta go fight the California Raisin dude now. We will worry about this later. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I loved. Like, I didn't, I didn't want everybody to have to, you know, that should be a big event. And not just like, oh, great, I have to the, Gotta watch all the movies to figure out what all the characters are doing before we even get to the team up. Yeah, and you know, I I'm gonna I'm gonna steal a a joke from a pitch meeting, but Ryan over at pitch meeting like had a great joke about like we're we're Disney. You must watch everything on Disney Plus to understand everything we're doing, you know. And he made it about Star Wars because Star Wars is doing that now, and we just talked about that last week, yeah. you know. Like, I don't want to have to watch, you know. I just want to have to watch like the movies or you know whatever. I don't have to also want to have to watch seven live action series and four cartoon shows and read a whole bunch of novels and you honestly do, you don't want to do homework before you have to watch a movie yeah and um mcu is kind of getting a little like that and i love the mcu i personally will choose to do that of my own volition i don't want to have to do that and I think when people are talking about superhero burnout, that's what they're talking about. Not that they don't want to go see superhero movies, but that they don't want to have to go like, okay, what's my homework to understand the superhero movie? But that has been a boom for the YouTube video makers who make their compilations. And here's everything you need to know before you see superhero you know, X movie here. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, okay, that's a great cottage industry, I guess, but like, you shouldn't have to, t you know, mm -hmm. you shouldn't have to do that. It should be a fun thing. This should be a fun thing. I, I want, I want Marvel to be a fun thing for everybody. It's still a fun thing for me, mm -hmm. but I want it to be a fun thing for everybody. I don't want people to have a glazed over look in their eyes of like okay what what what's what's my homework assignment before we go to the movie i've got two weeks left before it comes out all right just give give me a watch list and that's okay. kind of i mean that's why i do like that disney plus has these marvel legends videos that they've been releasing that is just here's all of the important stuff before the new movie comes out I mean, yeah, it's helpful, but once once again, like maybe simplify it 
maybe put all that stuff in in your movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're right. You're right. But again, you know, yeah. So getting back off, getting back on track here, Kiki. Does Guardians uh, does Guardians of the Galaxy one have the magic? Of course, this is I I love this movie to itty bitty little bits. I mean, they had me at James Gunn. They were just like James Gunn is doing a a Marvel movie, and I was like the guy that did Slither, the guy that used to work for Trona. I have no idea what this is, but count me in. And they were like, it's going to have a talking raccoon in it. And I'm like, that sounds even better. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I I, absolutely love this movie. I've loved all of the Guardians stuff. And I can't wait for the new movie, which I hope to be seeing before this drops. So, Me too. Yeah. I, I, I will agree. I, I, the movie's still good. The movie still has the magic. Uh, I can't wait for volume three. Again, we are recording this before the movie has been released. Uh, hopefully, both of us have seen the movie before this episode is released. Yeah. But uh, we'll see. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Guardians 1 still got, still got it. Thumbs up. Yep. So, let's move on to next week. Ooh, this is one we've wanted to do for a while. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, I really wanted to start. I really wanted to talk about this one because uh, there there has been a video game uh, kind of version of this going around that a lot of the Let's Players have been doing called Grounded, and I was like, wait a minute, this is just Honey I Shrunk the Kids, the video game. So I was like, why don't we just do Honey I Shrunk the Kids? It was such a massive film when we were young. Let's talk about that film and see if it holds up. Because I honestly have not seen the film in a very long time. Neither have I. So it's going to be fun to come go back to to that film. And you know, it's it, it's Rick Moranis. He's a he was he's awesome. Yeah, and I, I absolutely adore him. And he took a long break there and has started coming back on the scene. So we will go back to the heyday of Rick Moranis movies. All right, so come back next week for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it. Podcasts are fun. But there's work to be done. We encourage you to get involved. Here are some organizations we support. The American Civil Liberties Union fights for the constitutional rights of all Americans. Find them at aclu.org. The National Network of Abortion Funds helps people find access to safe abortion services. Their site is abortionfunds.org. The Trevor Project provides a 24-7 crisis helpline for LGBTQ youth and education services for schools on LGBTQ issues. They can be found at thetrevorproject.org. 
or find a way to help in your area.